Oh, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know we've only met like twice, but immediately when I um, was chatting with you, you were just so open and um, you were so excited to just share with me. And we had so much in common, I think, of our, our stories, yeah. our backgrounds um, with how we were raised, you know, around the topics of sex. So I would love to hear a little bit more about your story, um, what your relationship was with your parents growing up and what was the conversation and the tone around sex and your body. And as you, I guess, grew into your teenage years and older, what they spoke to you or if they ever communicated anything to you um, when it came to relationships. Right. Um, huh. Where do I begin? <laughs> I'd say like the thing that first comes to mind is that there was a lack lack of conversation. Um, that being said, like my whole story with sex, like starts very young because I was sexually abused by my grandfather. And I, it happened when I was so young that I could never like recall the actual um, facts when it comes to like how many times or how often or all of that. It's such a fog for me. I remember very much this game that we played and, you know, that was inappropriate touching. Um, I know that it happened more than once because I would go to his place and this was our only relationship was this was our time that we spent together was always just this game. Um, and the first time I discovered that it was not appropriate, I was probably maybe six, maybe seven even. And there was this like traveling puppet show that came to our school. And I remember exactly where I was sitting in my classroom when they came and put on this little puppet show about good touch, bad touch. And I just remember like my whole, like, like a everything closing in on me of just being like, oh my God, this has been bad touch. And I just, nobody told me, I had no idea. And it's very complicated, especially at that age, because you ask yourself so many questions, like, why did I not know this was wrong? Is there something wrong with me? Did my body betray me? Um, it's my fault because I kept going back. I should have known better. Um, that's just at that age, kind of how it was all internalized. So I vowed with myself, there was a lot of shame around it. At that time, I vowed, I made a promise to myself that I would not go back to see him. And I wouldn't tell anybody. And I would just, you know, I don't remember exactly how it unfolded. Um, but I remember making that promise to myself. And I know that when I stopped going downstairs to his place, he started coming upstairs to my grandmother's place and kind of seeking me out. I remember one time um, very vividly because th there's before you know it's wrong, it doesn't leave that much of an impression. Like I have memories of it, but not to the extent that after I realized it was super vivid in my mind because I knew what was going on then. I had a different perception on it. So he yeah, sought me out basically and came upstairs when I was playing alone. And then after that time, I told, I remember that time in vivid detail. And I told, um, you know, the adults around me again, I don't remember who I told first or how that unfolded, but I have this memory of being at the bottom of the staircase at my grandmother's house and just looking up because I was so little and, you know, the adults were up there because they were taller than me. They were all having this conversation that was really heated. It was like my, my parents and my aunt and uncle. And like, it felt, felt like so many people were involved and what have I done? I shouldn't have said anything. Now they're, now everyone's talking about me. And that was kind of the, the, the first um, kind of moment that's been anchored in my memory, maybe not the first, but one of those moments that is just anchored in my memory that today I'm still doing healing around is the fact that, you know, they had the conversation about me it made me feel like I had done something wrong. They kind of included me once in a while, but it was very 
awkward and uncomfortable and so felt violating in and of itself for them to be having this conversation that way. Um, and I just remember a couple of things that really stuck with me, like my uncle telling me like, one day you'll enjoy being touched that way, but like, not now, not at this age. And like, still to this day, I'm working with that in terms of being like, did I, I made an agreement with myself in that moment, in that moment, when he said that I said, no, never, I will never enjoy that. And there was no conversation after about, you know, what sex was like, this was my introduction to it. It was like something that's happened to you that someone did to you. And you're not supposed to like, that's not supposed to happen at this age. He should have known, he should have known better or he did know better, but he did that anyway. So it was a violation. It was a betrayal and not just by him, but by myself. That's what it felt like. So it was the beginning of a really complicated relationship with sex. You know, it was something that I felt like never belonged to me. My body didn't really belong to me. Um, I kind of used it as a commodity when I got a bit older. Um, you know, I don't care. Like sex is not important to me because it doesn't belong to me anyway. So might as well use it to, you know, get love and yeah. So that's the gist. Wow. There's Thank a you. lot to unpack there in a lot yeah. of ways, obviously that it's, um, affected me, but that's kind of the, um, the story. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I'm Wow, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like at such a young age to have shared that with adults, people who you feel are there to make you feel safe. Yeah. And then to have the complete opposite happen. Yeah. To then feel like you're not even included in the conversation. You're not even cared for. You know, I can. Yeah. What, what did you need in that moment? What would you have wished they could have said or done to maybe have, mm. yeah, I guess to have reframed the whole situation and helped you? It's a good question. And it's something that I'm working with right now, specifically, I'm going to take a bit of a detour to answer your question um, because I've been doing a lot of inner child work recently and kind of like giving myself, my child self, what she needed then. Um, and just seeing like, a part of me has always protected them in a way as being like, they didn't know what to do. They were shocked to this was horrifying for everyone involved. Like I never blamed them for having like messed up, but only recently, like by recently, I mean, literally in the last few weeks when I've been working with this specific aspect of my trauma of being like, they did let me down. The adults let me down and it's okay for me to say that and to admit that to myself. And one of the things I like to remind myself all the time is that multiple things can be true. It can be true that they did the best they could and that they didn't know what they were doing, but it can also be true that they let me down and that I was, you know, they failed me to a certain extent. Um, there's so much I think I would have needed at that time. I think I would have needed to be told a million times that it wasn't my fault. And I honestly don't remember if anyone told me that, and I'm sure they did, but obviously that's not what stuck with me. You know, these other anecdotes are that I, that I remember are, are just what stuck. Um, I would have needed to be just nurtured through that experience, you know, and that's what I do for myself when I do these inner child journeys, you know, I, I hold her, I tell her it's not her fault. I tell her she's going to be okay. And she believes me because it's coming from me, you know, today. And because of all the work I've done, I recently had a really powerful inner child journey with breath work, where I felt like for the first time of all the journeys I've done, she really trusted me. And I, she really believed me when I told her she was going to be okay. And I felt like that was because I've done the work that I have. And it was kind of a testament to that that healing that I've done. So yeah, I would have needed to be part of the conversation more than anything, you know, for someone to look me in the eye and listen to what I have to say, to hear what I'm thinking, even, you know, I don't remember anyone asking me how I was thinking, what I was thinking. If I could have told them, well, I kind of feel it's my fault because I went back, you know, for someone immediately to be like, it was not your fault. 
nothing about this was your fault. You know, it's, there's so much of that, that I would have, that I needed. And, you know, honestly, objectively speaking, they messed, they really messed up because I was put back in the situation where it happened again after I told them. And that's really, it's really hard for me to accept that one at this stage where I'm at right now in my healing. Like that's one of the big, big parts that I'm having a hard time kind of accepting like one of my most traumatic memories is waking up when I was sleeping over at my grandma's house and waking up with my grandfather lying in bed with me with his hands down my pants. Mm. And I was older by then I was like maybe 10, 11, you know? Um, and I remember, I don't know if I've ever even said this out loud, but that one of the first thoughts that went through my mind was I was going to wear a one piece pajama. I still had one of those like oversized one pieces. I was like, so between like being a kid and being like a teenager that I remember being like, would it have been better or worse if I had been wearing that one piece, if I'd chosen to wear the one piece instead of like the bottoms, would we have, would he have had to go through other means to access my body or would it have stopped him? Like, that's one of the thoughts that went through my mind at that age. So yeah, it's, um, it's a lot. Sorry. I know we just started this conversation, but for me, it's, it's, that's the foundation of, of my sexuality really. And it took me like over 30 years to realize that, like, I don't want to say I was doomed for, from the start, but I was certainly disadvantaged from the start in having like, um, an embodied experience as like a sexual person. I just never had that option. Um, not in the way things unfolded, at least for me. Yeah. And it seems I was, my, my next question was going to be, um, it doesn't seem like anybody changed any behavior afterwards. Even your parents didn't, do you feel that they had maybe taken you seriously, had protected you a little bit more, or were a little bit more cautious as to where you were after when you spent time with your grandparents, or do you feel as if it was almost swept under the rug? I think they took it seriously, um, in terms of they believed me. Um, but I should have never been in a position for that to happen to me again, period, you know, and I, there's a lot of reasons why that happened. And, you know, a part of me wants to protect my parents in this, you know, and being like, I don't want to blame them, but I know, like, quite frankly, like my mom prioritized work and for her reasons she i under i understand her enough to understand why working is very important to her and you know life was chaotic for her and i needed to be babysat and my grandmother was the other caretaker and so that's the place where she needed to put me you know but it was just not okay for me to have to be put in that situation. Like, again, like both things can be true. It can be true that I needed a place to be babysat, but like to have chosen still after what happened to me to put myself, to put me in that situation again, it's, it's hard for me to reconcile to today. And as I've peeled back the layers of healing or the layers of this trauma, um, which I'm sure we'll get into, um, the one that I I'm facing right now, is really like not making excuses for my parents and like kind of honoring the hurt, you know, that their, that their actions caused me. Um, and that's hard for me to do right now, honestly, you know, I, I'm so, I don't know. It's hard for me to feel like I could blame them. Um, and I've spent like so long not blaming them, but at the same time, like I keep saying, it's, it's still true that, that I was hurt by that. I really honor you for being able to have compassion and understanding for them and their situation as well. Right. It's easy for us to look at from a place of judgment. You know, I've done that with my parents too, and have had a lot of resentment when I was growing up as to it, to the way that I was raised and then the moments that I felt I should have been protected and wasn't, but like, we know they do the best that they can with what they have. Yeah. Um, So I'm curious now that you have two beautiful children of your own. Yeah. When you first found out that you're going to be having children, amazing thoughts came to your mind, but what fears and what concerns came to mind when you were 
going to be a mama? Yeah, I, you know, I have a, we have a son and a daughter and, um, my fear with Max is that he could be an abuser, honestly. Um, I'm so triggered by anything that he like says or does that's disrespectful to his sister, like as little as like speak when he speaks over her or speaks for her, you know, it's like, I see how triggered I am by anything that makes me feel like he's, you know, some showing some kind of toxic masculinity and he's not even eight, you know, but at the same time, I do see a big responsibility in raising him to be respectful and to be mindful and to understand, you know, how to treat others and especially like how to be sensitive as a, as a white man, you know, which is what I'm raising, you know? Um, and Charlie, I mean, gosh, I look at her at this age is particularly difficult. Um, she's five and a half. And like, I think like that was my, that's the age I was, you know, when this was going on and I just see how innocent she is and how like just trusting they are at that age um, and how easy it could be to prey on that. And I see myself in her so much. I mean, she looks just like I did at that age. Um, she always says that we're twins. Like she'll, she'll look at both of us in the mirror and be like, look, we're twins. Um, she also says we're twins in a past life, but <laughs> And yeah, I just, my heart breaks for everything that she'll have to go through as a woman, you know, inevitably, but like, I will do everything I can to protect her from anything happening to her, happening to her while she's under my watch. And also to teach her, you know, to love her body. Like it's such a big part of our conversation and she's so curious about her body and she says the most like amazing stuff sometimes <laughs> like she'll ask for privacy because she wants to explore her body and I'm I just like that. yes <laughs> you go girl you know and talking about when it's appropriate to do that and when you know that we should be in private and um but having the opportunity to parent them with that awareness you know it's it's a gift that I have now because of what happened to me. And there's so much, it sounds so messed up to say, and I'm always like hesitant to admit that to someone, but I don't regret what happened to me. It's been part of my journey. You know, it's part of what I needed to live and learn in this life. And the healing that I've been doing around this trauma has, it's been a form of connecting to other women who have experienced similar things. And I wrote, um, I've had a variety of different opportunities to bring healing to this, um, again, like peeling back the layers. And one of the things I did as part of my healing journey was to write down the story of what happened to me and all the ways in which it affected me and um, just everything. It was a journaling exercise that I did for myself. And I ended up posting it and sharing it publicly. And I've gotten hundreds of people who have reached out as a result of that. And and just that alone led me to create this journaling group for women, which the day I had my first, you were, you were there recording the podcast with Daniel, um, the day I had my first session with the group. And this week we're, we're finishing, um, we have our last one. Um, and that has been incredible too, in a way to connect with others who have, you know, even if their stories aren't the same as mine, you know, there's, we can connect through. The, through trauma, but also connect more through the process of healing and give each other hope that healing is possible. And, and it's encouragement, you know, it's, it's recognizing we might not be done, but we're doing the work. And as I always tell them, when we heal ourselves, we heal the collective, we heal future generations and we heal past generations. And it's, it's, it's the most important work that we can do. And that's really my life path at this point. And you know, this, this, my story, um, is part of it, big part of it. Yeah. I, I really love that, um, perspective that you have on it. When you say, I don't regret anything, you know, that was yeah. a big, that was a big realization for me when I've looked past, look back on my past and be like, I literally cannot regret a single thing. And I have so much gratitude for one, the strength that I now have to be able yeah. to have gone through everything 
and still have a heart with compassion, understanding, and to also, like you said, use it as medicine, use it Mm -hmm. as, as what I want to provide to now help someone else, you know, just as your journaling, um, group that you have is basically why I wanted to have this podcast, because I know my story is my story, but there's also so many other women who have experienced similar stories, different stories, and it helps, it helps to speak about it. It helps to, you know, it's alchemizing it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, if I could give you a reflection, I remember the first time that I actually met you, we were at that bonfire at the, the new moon party. Yeah. And I hadn't yet met you, but I saw you across the fire with Charlie and you were just taking pictures of her as she was doing ecstatic dance. And I, I felt something in my heart that I was just like, that is absolutely beautiful. Just to see her feel so happy in her own body to just be there and joyful and for you to celebrate that with her. And then when we went to dinner and you told me that story of how, uh, yeah. No, she was, she's like, I want to go explore my body. I'm like, wow, what an incredible way to be raised. What beautiful parents, what beautiful insight that you guys have to protect them in the way of teaching them, you know, because that was always my, what I've learned is that I wish I would have been taught. My parents did mm. the best they could. They wanted to teach me, of course, but their way of mm-hmm. teaching me and protecting me was by not talking about it. Right. And that was, that actually backfire a lot, you know, because Mm -hmm. constantly we're always telling children what to think and, you know, throwing all this information at them, but never asking them what they're curious about, you know, never giving them the, the opportunity to speak about what they are curious about. And especially when it comes to their body. So, yeah, I think you and Daniel are amazing with the way that you are raising them. And I love, you know, I love watching them to be able, it's, I don't know, maybe it has to do a lot with Costa Rica. I don't know what they were like in Canada, but to see them just be so free and to, to just connect with, you know, we were out to dinner and they were climbing on that tree and just watching them. And they're just, I'm sure they're kids and they fight and they have their moments, but I don't know, just to see if I can reflect back onto you, like just to see the way that they're being raised with so much love and so much, you know, compassion for them and, and knowing that they're their own little human beings. You know, I, I really, I applaud you guys because that's, that's the way that I, you're breaking the patterns, right? Like that's the best that we can do is just break the patterns of the way that we were raised and wanting to do better and knowing that there is a better way to do things. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And thanks for that memory of the bonfire. Honestly, that night, it was one of like, I will never forget that moment of being with Charlie. And I was taking yeah the videos and photos of her. And then for a while I was dancing with her and just, I love how they express so much through their bodies and they're kind of reminders of that, just how movement um, is a form of expression. And Charlie loves to dance. Like she was dancing before she could even stand on her own. Like she'd like hold onto the table and just like shake her booty and do her thing. And she just loves, loves dance. And to allow her to like express that freely um, and just witness her in that and join her in that was just such a beautiful moment. It's what makes me like, just love being her mom. Mm -hmm. It's so, it's so lovely. Yeah. yeah, she's, she's special. Yeah. And just, I love how you guys, you know, you were telling me the story of how she's like looking up her shorts in the car and you're like, Oh, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, not shaming her, not yelling at her just being like, okay, that's okay. But there's a time and a place, you know? Yeah. So I, think I need, that- I need her to know that it's okay. Absolutely. Um, while still, you know, um, validating or not validating, but um, reinforcing the healthy boundaries around it that, you know, society needs us to, um, and to understand that it's her body and that, you know, all, all of that, which comes with that. But like, for me to have repressed that whole part of myself, I just will not allow that to happen to her. Mm-hmm. I just, I just won't have it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You spoke a little bit about how, what had your, what had happened to you when you were younger, how that kind of um, trickled into your relationships, how you Mm -hmm. were like, sex isn't mine. And I'm curious now that you are married to a wonderful man. (laughs) Yeah. Or even before that, I know that you were in a relationship before that, you know, how, 
were you able to, and were any of your partners, I'm sure Daniel has, but were you able to heal parts of, um, I guess your sexuality with your partners? Did they, did you ever, yeah, just obstacles. Like what was your biggest yeah, obstacle? Tons. Um, I mean, first of all, I've been with Daniel for 15 years. So since I was like 21, um, so pretty much my whole adult life. And so before that, all of my relationships and sexual experiences were, you know, when I was pretty much a teenager or a very young adult. Um, so it's hard to say what's just what's wounding and what's just lack of experience and, you know, being young. Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely I felt very much like, like advancing the relationship sexually was something that was expected of me. And it was never my choice. Really. It was something that I kind of owed my partners. Mm -hmm. Um, there were when I was a little older, so like in my later teens, um, I I've had haven't had many sexual partners. I only had a couple of boyfriends, and that's who you know I had sex with. I never had casual sex or anything like that, though I did lots of fooling around back in the day. <laughs> um, but you know, when it comes to an actual like sexual relationship, um, but yeah, it was definitely there were no opportunities um, there for me to do any healing. Um, the healing, to be honest, like I just didn't even, I tried to ignore like, or put sex in like a box a little bit. Like it was something that like, I didn't really need to look at, you know? And as I did other things and grew in other ways, even like along my spiritual journey, I was like, oh, but sex is like this outlier thing, you know? And at one point it became very obvious that it wasn't, it's part of everything. It's linked to your personal power. It's, you know, it's, it's key. It's your life force. It's mm -hmm. so much. It cannot be ignored. Um, so it's only recently that I've kind of allowed myself to look at it and to reclaim it. And it felt like work in the past, whenever I came to a place where it was like, Oh, I really need to look at this, you know, like sexuality, the fact that I'm not interested in it a lot of the times, or, you know, that I feel like it exists outside of me, or it's like some button that needs to be pushed. And I haven't quite figured out where the button is yet. Um, you know, I could, I could get turned on and I could do what I needed to do. But in terms of like harnessing that power, you know, that deep well that I now know exists within me, I just did not, I was not interested in that. You know, I was like, that's for everybody, but me, um, yeah, it was one of the things I did for that. And this is something that I did with my journaling group as well, because the group is basically, um, it's an invitation to explore different journaling prompts that I've personally found a lot of healing, um, with. So one of the things I did very intuitively was I made a list of all of my limiting beliefs around sex one day, I just felt the need to do this. And the list was shocking mm. to me. It was like, some of it was almost like downright silly, you know, like I need to shave my legs in order to like feel sexy. It's like, come on, seriously. Like I'm not that kind of woman, you know, I'm like, surely I can understand that. <laughs> I know better than that. Yeah. And you know, it's almost like embarrassing because you're like me. No, I don't think that like I'm an awakened woman. I would never. Um, yet here were all of those beliefs staring back at me and like so much repressed stuff. Like, yeah, like if that I can't masturbate because if I have any sexual energy at all, it needs to be like spent with my partner because like I owe him that. And that's not because he made me feel that way. That was just a belief I had mm -hmm. or that, you know, like I've been attracted to women throughout my life. Mm -hmm. And I like, for me, it was like, Oh, like if I was gay, then I would like women and I'm straight. So I don't. And that was it. You know, I was in the, this box again and it mm -hmm. took me forever to finally admit, like, maybe I like women too. And like, that's okay. Can I be sexually attracted to women also? Like, and like, I had even repressed some of like the experiences I had had in the past, like to the point where I was like, oh yeah, that happened once. And I've like almost convinced myself to forget about it because I didn't want to have to, I don't know, put myself in a category or I don't know what it was. And again, like, where is all this even coming from? Like these expectations I had of myself or I don't know, but this list was eye-opening. 
to say the least. It was, it was a catalyst for me to start looking at all of this more deeply. Yeah. Same. I mean, now, you know, 35 is around the corner for me. Right. And I feel like I am just getting more uh, comfortable with my own sexuality. And, and, you know, I'm going through the Layla Martin course and just all these things that are coming up that I'm Mm -hmm. same. I have an attraction to women. Women are beautiful. And it's, and it's this whole, you know, stigma that I guess when I, I learned when I was young, you know, if I'm attracted to other women, because I remember being attracted to other women as a young girl, I was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. am I a lesbian? Does this mean I'm gay? And the fear around yeah. that, the fear around that just, you know, it was, it was, yeah, there's the, such a stigma around it, but even trying to educate, you know, and most of my sexual experiences, I think was with a female the first time, like kissing another girl or, you know, just completely innocent, your children. And it's you're super learning. common. Yeah. It's absolutely super common, And you know, like with yeah. think, and having so much shame around it now as an adult, sharing it with, you know, people, friends, and they would be like, oh yeah, that happened to me too. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Maybe this isn't that <laughs> uncommon and weird and something that should be shamed for. No. I mean, I didn't have anybody teaching me. I didn't have anybody giving me the opportunity to explore my body or to know what it was to be with another person or to just tell me that these things are okay to explore as a children. That's why I love how you speak with Charlie. Um, so I'm curious, you said you were married for, you've been married for 15 years and Max Mm -hmm. is, you said eight, Mm -hmm. Max is eight. Okay. Almost eight. Yeah. So what was your sex life before children? And then now to after children? Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a complicated uh, question and answer. So I will say that when Daniel and I, there was such an attraction between the two of us. It was like, now I understand that it's because like we were absolutely meant to be together and it was manifesting in like this crazy attraction at the time. Cause like, you know, that's the language we spoke at that age. Mm -hmm. Um, I, it was like an incredible, like sexual awakening for me to get into a relationship with Daniel. And I didn't want it to be a relationship. I was like, this is the first time in my life where I'm going to be single for a while. Um, You know, I just got out of a relationship. I was like, we're only going to be like having fun and that's it. And then like, you know, we ended up getting married. (laughs) I've been married for so long. Um, But it was like, he was living at his parents' house, like with his dad, like he, we were having sex in his twin bed with like baseball sheets, you know, like his childhood sheets, like it was not sexy, but it was very sexy in its own way. Um, we, we took a lot of trips to, um, and like, we went to Miami and like stayed in nice places and just, yeah, it was, it was like being high all the time because there was like so much sex happening and the sexual tension was so strong between us and the chemistry was amazing. So yeah, it was, it was very, um, very exciting time for me. (laughs) Sounds very fun. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, um, throughout the years, like my wounding did start showing up, you know, at various times once I think, you know, the heat of the first little bit, um, kind of dissipates or, or calms down and, there's safety and there's comfort and, you know, the, the day-to-day life sets in, there's also room for a lot of my wounding to, to show up. And it continued to show up in various ways throughout the years. Um, you know, I remember one time and this, I think I was already, I definitely was already, uh, a mom to Max and Charlie because yeah, both of them were, were here. Um, and you know, he, we're lying in bed together and he, put his hands like on my butt and I just had like a huge traumatic response. You know, I like burst into tears and was like, it just brought me right back to that moment. Um, you know, waking up to my grandfather and lying next to me with his Mm -hmm. hands on my butt. And it just showed me that I still had these triggers, you know, the trauma still had a hold on me. And I've done so much work recently with trying to understand trauma and researching a lot about it and understanding different schools of thought. And, you know, my understanding of trauma is that it's anything that takes you, well, this is Gabor Mate, Dr. Gabor Mate, his work, um, anything that takes you, 
um, like where you're reacting from a place that's connecting you to that initial event. So it's not the event itself. It's how the event affects who you are. And it takes you away from the present moment and it takes you away from yourself. So, you know, in that moment, I wasn't reacting as like myself, you know, who's married to this awesome man who's being touched in a safe place and with a safe person. I was the traumatized person who, you know, the little girl who was being touched inappropriately. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of like the the trauma shows up in different ways throughout the years. and, And every time it's an opportunity to bring awareness to it and to bring more healing to it. And I've had so many of these opportunities um, and I've reacted to them in a way always intuitively. And I give myself a lot of credit for that today. Mm. Um, For example, like um, I, just before my grandfather passed away, I hadn't seen him in like over a decade. And my aunt just called to let me know that he was passing away. She just thought I should know. Um, and that he was, it was kind of like going to be happening in the very near future. And without really thinking too much, I just knew that I needed to go. I just felt it intuitively. And I went, Daniel drove me almost two hours to my hometown. So I could, you know, I thought I was going to be talking to him like on his deathbed. I thought he was going to be like, you know, basically a body. Like I just had this image of what I was walking into. And he was very much conscious sitting in the cafeteria. Um, The people there were like, oh, you're here. Like he never gets visitors. And, um, you know, thinking they're, this is some kind of happy family reunion, you know? And so I faced him, I sat across from him and he didn't remember me. But when I told him, he kind of remembered who I was and, you know, understood that I was his granddaughter and asked me if I had kids, just like this fucked up, like casual, small talk conversation with my grandfather slash abuser who I hadn't seen in over a decade. Um, And then I walked him back to his room and I sat next to him on his bed, which is really weird because that's how it often happened. Um, And I told him, I came here to tell you that I forgive you for what you did to me. And he was silent. So I said, do you know what I'm talking about? And that like, to me was like, so bold, you know, I didn't go there for an apology. I came there to tell like what I thought was going to be like a dying man on his deathbed. Like, I forgive you. I didn't think I was going to be having a conversation. Um, So to ask him to kind of own up to it in a way was really almost like an out of body experience. I couldn't even believe I had said those words. And he said, yes, that he knew what I was talking about. And so I reiterated, I said, well, I forgive you for that. It hurt me. Um, I've been working on this for a long time and I'll continue to have to heal from what you did to me, but I forgive you. And he said, thank you. And I left and I collapsed in the lobby where Daniel was waiting for me. I couldn't speak. I was just, but at the same time, I was more empowered by that than like anything I'd probably ever done. And I just felt like it was something it was, it felt like a gift that I had gotten to do that. You know, um, forgiveness is really difficult and it's not necessary. You know, a lot of people put pressure on victims or or survivors to forgive people who have hurt them, but ultimately it's, it's a choice and it's only beneficial if it's going to be a step towards healing, you know, not if it's going to further um, emphasize the trauma. And in my case, it was, it was healing. It allowed me to see him with compassion. After that, my viewpoint on him really shifted. You know, I saw him as a man who was dying alone in a, in a home with no family around him because of the choices he had made. And it can be true again, that he brought this on himself. And it can also be true that that's kind of sad. You know, Mm -hmm. I can still have compassion for that while still honoring how hurt I am and I was and continue to be by his actions. So that's one (laughs) 
one of the many um, opportunities that I've had for healing. Um, yeah, another the house that where all of this happened um, was so my grandmother lived upstairs and my grandfather lived downstairs. And so he passed away um, a while ago now. And um, she was still living there. And now and then we were she was being moved out of that apartment. Um, and so I spent that summer cleaning out the house and I was there alone a lot. Um, and it was kind of creepy. It was like a big, scary house. And, you know, a lot of stuff had happened in that house, but to me, cleaning this house, emptying out literally like piles of garbage out of this house, it was like a, a cleansing for myself as well. Um, and then when the house was ready, it was sold actually. And they were about to hand over the keys. Um, again, my mom let me know, just so you know, they're, you know, the house is no longer, you know, we're no longer going to have access to it if there's anything that you still needed from there. Um, so I went back and I brought my camera as a photographer. That's a tool for healing for me. And I took self portraits in some of the rooms where, you know, this, these things happened to me. And it was a way to continue to like reclaim the space. And I kind of just stood in those spaces and sometimes I cried and sometimes I held myself and I took these portraits of myself um, again, very intuitively. I didn't, I brought my camera. I didn't know why I just thought I would maybe want to document that in some way. And it was a beautiful experience of reclaiming the space and also of letting go of so much, you know, of, of being like, I'm the last one here, you know, and and I'm leaving that on my terms kind of is what it felt like. Mm -hmm. um, and then a couple of days later, I left for Costa Rica to sit with ayahuasca for the first time. And during that experience, I had, you know, as mama ayahuasca does more layers of healing to uncover. And um, I saw myself, I had a lot of experiences regarding my, the sexual abuse come up during ayahuasca. But one of them was that I witnessed myself in the room as a little girl, you know, while this was going on, I saw him, I saw me. Um, and I saw myself and thought, she's okay. Like, you're okay. You're okay. But I looked at him and I thought, he's not okay. And I had a lot of compassion for him in that moment. I wasn't feeling sorry for her. I was feeling sorry for him. And it kind of showed me how far I've come and how much, you know, forgiveness has been such a big part of that process of that healing. Um, yeah. Wow. That's just wow. some of it. Honestly, there's so much more light <laughs> stuff, light stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting a little emotional. Sorry, but I don't know if you understand just how fucking powerful you are hmm. to be able to step into a light of compassion and to choose compassion and understanding for a man who violated you in so many yeah. ways when he should have been someone who protected you and loved you. And yeah. Warrior, <laughs> a Thank graceful you. warrior is the only thing that I can think of, of to describe you and, and even more to be able to have the strength to know to teach your children differently. Thank you. Yeah. So whew. I do want to talk more about sex, but it yeah. always, all roads lead back to this place. No, for me absolutely. Because they're so tied. Yeah. But that's what it is. You know, that's why <laughs> I, 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 the root of this podcast was my experience as a child with sex and the mm -hmm. lack thereof of education and how it led me down a path of vulnerability and unknowing and left me vulnerable to a lot of situations that could have been extremely dangerous. Right. And I'm, I'm, you know, I consider myself lucky that I, it didn't get to certain points, but there were a lot of situations that I feel had I been educated better, had I been guided better, supported better, they wouldn't have had to happen. Right. But again, I can't look at those things with any regret. It's all gratitude at this point, because it has led me to this opportunity to have this platform, to want to create a podcast where I give people the opportunity to speak about this. And so that the next person who hears can maybe do things a little bit differently. Yeah. You know? it's, these conversations are so, so important. I'm seeing so much of it um, through my journaling group as well. Um, just how needed these conversations are, how alone we feel 
in a lot of this. And especially when it comes to sex, there's so, even, even as like grown ass adults, you know, we're still, uh, we're, we're still, still learning, still and, learning. Yeah. We're still learning and still, you know, unlearning a lot of the patterns and, and it's still uncomfortable. It's still, there's still a lot of shame that I feel for certain, for certain things. And I'm like, I shouldn't feel shame for that at all. Nothing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I speaking, you said you had mentioned that you're a photographer and I was looking at some of your images earlier and just so beautiful that the pictures that, um, you and Daniel take really is a beautiful art. And I can understand how you said that that's part of your healing. There is, mm. I want to talk about two pictures. <laughs> There's a is picture it the naked of, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So beautiful. And just your reflection, you know, of what you wrote to be, I think you were in the sand and, and I was like, oh my God, Dana's hot. Look at her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just, and this was after two children. So I'm curious as to what your relationship with your physical body after two children and after everything that you've been through, like, what is it? Um, and I guess it links to, then you had, uh, the picture of you in the ice bath where you were having mm -hmm. this beautiful purge of, you were crying. So I'm, I'm curious as to what your relationship is with your body after everything and how you, what the modalities are other than, you know, your, you said journaling, but the modalities that you have used to help you heal. Yeah. My relationship with my body is like, it depends on what day you ask me, you know? <laughs> Um, the, the picture that you're that where I'm like my hands on the rocks and I'm like, I'm naked and I had to blur out my nipple. Like that's how much of my body is showing. Never done that before. It was really uh, vulnerable for me to post that, but the experience of being photographed that day was like, I was buzzing afterwards. Like I, every woman should have the opportunity to see themselves that way and to experience that. And also, you know, we were in nature, like we were at the beach and we went to this like private area with these, where these, there are these rocks. And I was just like, I wasn't planning on getting naked, but I was just like, Daniel, I've got to do it. It's like, it was just calling at me to like connect more fully with the rocks and the sand and the water and the wind. It was just magic. And I've never felt as embodied, I think, as I did in that moment of getting those photos taken. And then the, the dear body, um, the letter I wrote to my body was the first journaling um, prompt for my women's uh, journaling group. So, you know, I did that letter that same around that same time. And so it was just fitting for me to, to share all of it at the same time. So when I wrote that letter, that's when I'm feeling my best is how I feel when I, or how I felt when I wrote that letter, like mm -hmm. embodied, um, open, expressive, um, accepting, bold, like just all of, all of that. Um, and then I still have days where, you know, I struggle and we're, we've been moving from house to house out here until our house is ready. And like, depending on the lighting and the mirror placement, you know, I feel different ways. And so I have to kind of keep it light with myself as well. And, you know, I'm all, also almost always half naked out here. You know, I pick up the kids in a bikini top and shorts and, you know, it's the norm and it's fine. So, <laughs> yeah. And I love that life. Um, but I see, I see myself, you know, I see my own body a lot and I'm not hiding it. And, but I've, I've seen also that if I'm feeling like lack in terms of my relationship with my body, if I'm not feeling great about myself, it's probably because I I'm neglecting some practices that allow me to feel embodied. So like some of the practices um, other than journaling that I really like to do is like dancing naked in front of the mirror. Um, I like do these like sacred sexuality rituals. Like if I'm alone in the house and, you know, I feel called to it, or even if I don't, I try to make space for it. Like literally like, you know, creating a sacred space and, um, sage and incense and music and just like allowing myself to move and to touch myself in whatever way I want to. And that's been super duper liberating, you know, and it's like, how can you not feel amazing after doing that? And it's one of the invitations I've given to um, the folks in my journaling group too, is like um, the week that we were talking about sex, 
um, I suggested that they try something like that, you know, in, in whatever state or whatever stage you're at, you know, it doesn't have to be um, for the purpose of, you know, orgasm or anything like that. It can even be just allowing yourself to touch your body in a loving way and, you know, reconnect to yourself or it can be a full blown orgasm. You know, that's great mm-hmm. too. Um, I masturbated outside at the old, the house where we were staying before it was like full, like privacy and like just incredible view. And I just like went for it one day. I was like, <laughs> I yes. was alone. And yeah, I was like with like the sun straight, like on me, it was just incredible. And I was like, I would have never done that a couple years ago, you know, but like the, this embodiment, this like sexuality of just giving myself permission to open Mm -hmm. up that box, no pun intended was, is key. Again, it's like, that's healing too. That's saying like, despite everything, like here I stand like a sexual woman in my power. And like that has emboldened me in so many ways. And whenever I feel like lacking, you know, it's because it's been a while since I've given myself the time and space to do something like that, you know, and, and it needs to be done. (laughs) Yeah. It's super healing. I love that you do that. It makes, it made me think of the times, you know, I would have nights to myself. I would jump into like a piece of lingerie um, and I would put on music, you know, my old apartment had mirrors as the doors that I would just like you know, and then I would take my laptop out and I'm like, I'm going to record myself and I'm going to see what this looks like and wow. not judge myself. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, and it was a lot of fun. And I'm like, God damn, I'm sexy. What's up? Yes. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, very you liberating. Allow, allowing yourself yeah. to like seduce yourself, exactly. you know, to get turned on by yourself. Like I never thought that was even possible, honestly. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Because the big um, thing for me is that I mean, yes, another human can turn me on, but it's in reality, what I need to be turned on for everything to be perfectly right for me to like, want to enjoy sex. I have to feel safe within my own body. I just like you, I do like think like, I, yeah, I have to have completely smooth skin. I don't want hair anywhere. You know, it just doesn't, I don't want to feel like a tarantula, (laughs) you know, I have to be completely showered. I have to just do all the things for me to feel safe in my own body. So a lot of my practices now are a lot of mirror work and a lot of just being comfortable with, you know, even the way that I smell, the way that I look and be like, if I'm naked in front of a man, he's not gonna, I mean, I hope not, but I don't think he's going to get up and leave because, you know, I didn't (laughs) shave my legs or, you know, something silly like that. And yeah, I just kind of started introducing myself to mirror work. It's super fucking powerful. And it's definitely something that I want to offer when I start, you know, um, coaching. Um, again, I love that you're doing these journal, uh, these this journal group, and I love how you are supporting other women in these um, activities. What has been, you know, I guess the most common story, and in, in the there's so much. Um, first, I will say that what surprised me the most was how many women were willing to show up mm. with complete strangers and take off their masks and throw them to the side for a while and just bear their hearts, you know, and just be fully transparent and open about what's going on behind that mask. Um, there are so many stories of trauma. I mean, that's the biggest thing we all have in common. Everyone has some kind of trauma. Um, some have like what can be referred to as like a little T trauma that they have shame around feeling like it's a trauma, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. just the topic of trauma in and of itself is something we've worked on a lot and talked about a lot, um, that there's no use in comparing, um, you know, trauma is whatever you're affected by and the effect that it has on you is what needs to be worked on. And it doesn't, you know, the, the, the event itself, um, doesn't need to be compared to other people's, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there's so much willingness to show up and to do this work. And that that's what gives me like the most hope. Mm -hmm. Um, pretty much everybody has in common that there wasn't talk about sex or healthy, you know, relationships or relationship with sex growing up. That's something that seems really common or, you know, whatever they were experiencing, whether they were really open or not, there's always shame 
or there seems to almost always be shame around it in some way, whether you're having too much sex or not enough sex, or you're too, you know, embodied or not enough, or, you know, no matter what shame seems to be like the, the common thread, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's so powerful to get together and have these conversations. It's, I was so afraid to step into this because I, I felt so many limiting beliefs about myself to how I wasn't capable of holding that space or I didn't have enough training or who did I think I was to do this kind of thing. And I did it anyway. You know, I was like, I see you, all you, you know, saboteurs and fear and all of that, but I'm going to do this because I really believe that it's something people need. And I believe that I can bring that kind of medicine to whoever shows up. And, you know, I'm not perfect. I don't always know what to say. And if anything, I just am grateful for them for being there. And I thank them for sharing. And sometimes I feel like I want to do so much more to help. Mm. But ultimately, I know that my role in this group is to hold the space, you know, and to share what I have to share as well. And sharing is something that for me has always come naturally. I've been forever a talker. And my mom has lots of stories about, you know, um, me talking to strangers and restaurants and just like, basically like I would never shut up when I was a kid and I'm kind of still like that. No, I was just going to say that, you know, at one point as I was reflecting on myself, this was when I was, um, seeing a life coach, I remember like reflecting on like what my gifts are. And I was like, sharing is kind of my gift. Like maybe not to, maybe it's not a gift for everyone. Everyone wants to receive, but being comfortable sharing my story, like there's a medicine to that. And I see it, I would see it as a wedding photographer, like Daniel and I traveled around the world for 12 years, documenting all kinds of different, um, weddings from people, all kinds of different walks of life. And the thing I was most good at was connecting to people and getting them to tear down their walls. And, you know, and I did that by sharing about myself. And it was really like, that was my favorite part about being a wedding photographer, I think was actually getting to connect with people. And I loved connecting with the parents and, you know, some, some people who were really like hard and had really like their walls were up. I was like, all right, give me, give me some time with you and I'll tear down your wall or I'll help you tear down your walls. And yeah, it was something that I just felt very natural at. And so, yeah. So I do think that like sharing my story is, is, is my medicine to, in a lot of ways, it allows me to connect to people. Yeah. I used to always believe that I would be sharing too much with people. Um, and, and then I, for a while, was, I just kept quiet about things from my past, but it wasn't until I went on a, a ski trip with a bunch of girls, a few of my girlfriends, and I had shared something that I didn't really share with many people. And then very scared of the judgment that I was going to get back from that, you know, because it's one of those things that ha- comes with a stigma or belief. Um, but to hear how many of the girls actually were like, yeah, that's happened to me too. And I think the reason I am so open and vulnerable is because I want to make the other person feel safe to also share what their uh, story is and what their maybe trauma has been so that we can talk about it. Cause just like this, it's, it's so healing to talk about it. And I've been learning so much that this past year, you know, all my, wounds around relationships and men thinking that I needed a man to heal these things. It has been quite the opposite. It has been the feminine. It has been women that have been, you know, helping me and support, supporting me and building me back up, um, reminding me of my power, reminding me of my strength and, and, you know, in my divinity. So I think it's beautiful that the relationship that we have with other women even is, is beginning to change and, be reframed, you know, because as women, we are conditioned and programmed to compare ourselves to one another and to compete, you know, and Mm -hmm. then immediately have judgment for another person. Like, and I catch myself still, like I'll see a woman crossing or she's doing something weird. I'm like, what is she doing? Like, who cares? You know, don't be a bitch. (laughs) So it's still very difficult to, to, you know, unlearn those patterns, but I think, Absolutely. yeah. And I think that's, I, I love what you are doing with this journaling for, for women. And I hope you do more of them. I, I think you said this one is about to end, um, mm-hmm. but I, I really do hope that you do more and I would love to jump on the next one with you. Um, 
Yeah, I, it's, um, gosh, there's so much I want to say on that. The, the, um, the thing with sharing, even if it doesn't, you know, the person doesn't feel safe to open up. And like, this is when I have the hardest time is when I'm sharing a lot. And that's person who's really reserved or is not opening up much. And then I leave the conversation being like, oh, that person was judging me or thinks that I'm like crazy or like I talk too much. And then I get in my head about it. But the opportunities I've had to have kind of like follow-up conversations with those people have often been like, I, you know, what I'll get from them is I admire you so much for how you're able to, you know, open up. I'm so glad you did because it made me think of this. And even though I wasn't able to talk about it, you know, I also have like something similar or I relate to this or, you know, there's some way that they're still connecting to what's being shared. And I have a friend like that here who, you know, at first I thought she was like thinking I was talking too much and all of this. And then, you know, realized that it just takes her longer to open up. And, you know, she's actually really grateful for how I open up. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I shouldn't make that assumption then, you know, like I, you shouldn't assume that other people are thinking something. And if you're speaking your truth and, you know, it's again, within like reason, you don't want to be like monopolizing a conversation or whatever, but you know, then, then I think that it is, um, it is beneficial and they could be resonating on a level that they're not willing to, to echo yet, um, or to admit yet, but you know, it might still be happening. The work can still be happening. Yeah. And it's also part of your healing, which is also very beautiful as well. I always used, I like to end the conversation on a question. Um, if you could go back to little Davina and speak to her, what is the biggest piece of advice that you would give to her and how are you embodying that advice now as an adult? That is a good and tough question. Hmm. I would tell her there's so much, (laughs) there's so much that it's okay to be her and there's nothing wrong with being her and she can feel safe in being herself. I think that's, that's the, the core of it, honestly. Um, I am doing everything right now in my life to embody that. And it looks like being triggered by something, seeing why I'm being triggered by it, what limiting belief is connected to that, and then trying to undo that, sit with it, feel it. The work that I'm doing on myself on a daily basis is all to get to the point where I can remember my own wholeness. And I think that, you know, as a kid to be able to tell myself like that, you're okay being you is in a sense to connect to that wholeness, to remember that wholeness. We are, we are conditioned to believe all these things. We experience so much. There's so much trauma where, you know, what you were talking about being compared or comparing to others. It's absolutely as women, we are conditioned to compare ourselves to others and to see ourselves as inferior. And there's so much, it's so messy, this human conditioning that we go through, let alone, you know, the trauma and the ancestral trauma and et cetera, et cetera. But at the core of all of that, you know, we're whole, um, the process of, of going through this life and of healing and of growing and the spiritual journey is really to remember that wholeness. And yeah, that's, Mm -hmm. that's what I would say to her, be you and be okay with being you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, this was a beautiful conversation and, and I, 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 you know, I know we've, we've chatted in the past, but just hearing so much more about your story, we relate so much more, you know, I, I feel like, and the way that we are now, the way that we have and lead with compassion and we lead with love in our heart. So I thank you. I thank you for that. I thank you for the work that you're doing with other women and the way that you're raising your children and 
because it's beautiful. And that's the only thing that we can do. You know, there's a million and one things going on outside of us in this world that we wish we could fix and heal. And, you know, the only thing that we can do is, is heal what's within us and help the, the ones that are around us in our immediate, you know, um, circle to heal. So I love, I love everything that you are doing. Um, thank and, you. And again, you know, I don't, like to think of the word victim because I don't see you as that. I see you as a warrior. I see you as a woman who has taken the hands that she was dealt and the things that she was given and has turned it into absolute magic. Um, you know, you're thriving. It's not even surviving. It's thriving. Mm -hmm. You are doing beautiful, beautiful work um, with, with other women and with your family. Thank so you. Thank you. Thank so, you for doing this. This is so important. These conversations are so important. So I thank you for putting yourself out there and taking the initiative to, to create this, this space to speak about all of this stuff. Thank you. I appreciate that. So where can everybody find you if everybody wants to see the beautiful Davina? Yeah, in all her naked glory. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, that was just one time. Um, on Instagram... I'm uh, at Davina Kudish, D-A-V-I-N-A-K-U-D-I-S-H. And then my website is davinapalik.com. I will eventually be reconciling the two because Kudish is Daniel's last name and Palik is <laughs> my maiden name. Long story, but um, I'm reclaiming Palik right now yes. because Palik was my grandfather's name. So I rejected it for a while, but now I am kind of reclaiming it. And my website was the first, uh, the first step in doing that. And I think my Instagram handle will eventually change back to Davina Palik, but for now it's still Davina Kudish. And uh, yeah, I will likely be doing other groups in the future. I'm, I'm just feeling called to create uh, a new group, um, integrating breath work into it as well, because I'm actually uh, tomorrow is my day 30 of my of 30 days of breath work. So I'll be able to submit all of my um, materials to become facilitated as a breathwork uh, practitioner. Mm -hmm. So I think I'll integrate breathwork into um, this next offering as well, because it's been super powerful for me um, as a tool. So yeah, absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you so much. I'm definitely looking forward. I'm going to, I would love to do a breathwork session when I'm back in Samara. Um, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me and being so open. And thank you. You're very loved. Thank you. Mm, thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye. <laughs> Bye.